0: Well, good morning, friends. I cannot believe we are at the end of summer. Isn't that? A, is that? It's like whoosh, went right by. Hey, as has been mentioned before, uh, we are going to be in Psalm twenty-three this morning. You know, always a special danger associated with teaching a passage that is so well known that even people who are outside the family of faith at least know about this psalm, but. Also, the danger isn't there when you teach something that is familiar to most of us, the danger that uh, I would say something or could say something or try to find something that hasn't been said before, or that I would succeed in saying something like that before. I have a humble, 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 humble uh, goal for our teaching this morning, and that is not to teach you anything new, but to remind you of what you already know and remind you of the goodness of God this morning. Amen? Amen. So as we have done in the past weeks, I'd like us to read this psalm together. If you have your Bible with you, you can open it. If you have it memorized, you can call upon your memory, unless it's in like some really weird version of the Bible. Don't do that, okay? Uh, But also, it is printed in your bulletin. So if you did grab a bulletin uh, uh, on the way in, it's actually right there on the note side, so you can read along with me. But I'd like you to read aloud with me. So, one, two, three, the Lord is my shepherd, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of the backstory on this psalm before we jump in and just kind of look at look at the individual parts of it. The metaphor for a shepherd was a popular—it uh, pop, was a popular metaphor, really—in the Near East to always speak of kings. And so, when you talked about a shepherd, even in secular culture, a king was known as a shepherd of the people. And I think it is absolutely no mistake that God, who chose David to be Israel's great king was in early life a shepherd of sheep himself. I think it's one of God's interesting training programs for all of us, and that is that he puts us in positions of smaller things, and as he finds us trustworthy in those things, he raises us to greater areas of responsibility. And I say that some of you here are uh, at the early parts of your life, some of you here at the later parts of your life, but one of the things we have to remember is that God uses trust to be able to train us up. And so just an encouragement to all of you is to be faithful in the small things that God puts in your life and see how he will use those to bless other people. But not only was David, the great king of Israel, once a shepherd, but then this was also attributed to the son of David, Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of King David's, and he too was referred to as the shepherd. He actually referred to himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. And the apostolic writers referred to Jesus as the great shepherd. And so as we read through Psalm 23 and we think of, of the Lord is my shepherd, we want to have a picture in our mind of, of uh, you know, David going through Jesus. So we have a big picture in our mind, and appropriately we're thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ all the way through this. Something else I would just mention, and that is uh, just kind of as a way of review, is that, that unlike songs that we have in English songs out of the the Hebrew Bible really are not so much working on the rhyme. You know how our songs, we really enjoy a good turn of words, right? That that rhyme and they they tell a story and and we love that. And that's part of our English language. In the Hebrew Bible, instead, pictures are painted for us. They don't rhyme. The words don't necessarily rhyme, but things are layered on top of one another to either build something that is out of several pieces or to contrast things. And that happens all the time through the Psalms. And so why am I saying that? Why am I why am I taking a moment to talk about that? Well, what's important to remember is not each individual part is meant to be as important as the sum of the whole. And so we take a look at Thought for thought, and it's one thought that's expanded in several different ways, and you'll see that play out as we go through the psalm together. So, let's go ahead now and take a look at, at uh, the individual verses in this great psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's move our minds now out of the Willamette Valley and let's think about the arid arid environment of the Middle East. The sheep here, uh, of course, graze in fields and it's not too hard to find a place for your sheep to graze in the Willamette Valley, but it's quite different in the Middle East. It's much drier. And the sheep here is actually praising his shepherd. So it's from the point, of the, you know, the point of view of the sheep looking at his shepherd and saying, the Lord is my shepherd and he takes good care of me. I am well cared for under his care. In a dry and weary land, the shepherd knows where there is grass to be found. He has a place for me. He's found a place for me to drink and to find refreshment for my soul and he knows the right path. He leads me, the paths of righteousness might more literally be the right path. He knows that right path to get me home, to get me to my my destination. That we would be spiritually fed is of great importance and concern to our shepherd. When Jesus recommissioned Peter after his great failing Uh, In denying Jesus, and they later came together at the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus came to Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Meaning his nets that were there. Uh, Peter said, oh yes, I love you, Lord. And he said, said, feed my sheep. And he said that really three times in, in different ways there. It's such an important thing that Jesus cares that his flock would be well fed and nourished. On the Word of God. I think of the refreshment that Jesus promised in the Holy Spirit. He said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow springs of living water. Once again, the shepherd caring that we have much refreshment in our souls. And Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. And those who are members of his flock are people whose ears are attuned. And we hear that voice. There's a certain resonating with the words of Jesus in our very souls. Indeed, we all need food and we all need water and we all need shelter. But the Lord made clear through his teaching that we do not live by these alone. But rather, we have a deeper hunger and a deeper thirst that only the Lord can satisfy. Are you someone who frequently experiences discontentment? I wonder how much of that relates to seeking to be satisfied with something that actually produces discontentment. There's a real hunger we have, and sometimes we take that hunger, and I don't know if you guys do this, sometimes late at night, when i'm watching tv all of a sudden i find around 10 o'clock i want a little smackerel or something and you know i'm not really hungry i had a nice dinner uh, i'm probably still digesting the dinner by that time but i'm really what i really want is i'm thirsty i want to drink a water but i satisfy with a snack of some kind which then in turns leads to a cavalcade of events not the least is going down to a clothing store and getting some bigger pants. My point being is sometimes we mistake our appetites. And I would just say that if you are experiencing a lot of discontent when the Lord says, you shall not want, and it's not talking about material things. It's talking that this is not prosperity doctrine here. It is, I have food and I have refreshment for you. If we're, if we're finding ourselves discontented and not feeling full, then maybe we're satisfying that hunger in a way that is trying to satisfy it apart from God the Father and what he's doing in our lives. Let's, go, let's move on here into verse 4, where we read, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you were with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me." You know, our entire existence is really under the shadow of death. We're going on a one-way trip through life, and there is this shadow of death. And there seems to be in the sons of Adam, the descendants of Adam, ever since the curse came upon man, there seems to be three basic reactions to living under the shadow of death. There's anxiety and dread. There's also complete denial. Uh, I I tell you, one of the most interesting things as a pastor that I've experienced doing funerals is the complete and utter denial of the fact that somebody has just died and that death is coming for all of us. It's really quite amazing, you know, where we can be standing around the graveyard and people are talking about restoring cars or talking about, you know, their vacation or you name it. like, didn't you just see what happened here? You know, didn't we want to take some thought, take some stock in that? Certainly another path that so many have taken is the numbing down with pleasure or power or possessions. And you know, these are all reactions, but it's actually foolishness to think that we are never going to die. But you know what else is foolish? Even more foolish than that is to live in great fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15 says that the fear of death is actually a form of slavery. Think about that, that bringing that fear up makes you a slave to that fear, and we're set free from that fear through Jesus Christ. The real thing that you have to fear in death is not the process of dying, but rather the great thing you need to fear in death is to fall into the hands of, living, of the living God and to fall into judgment for that. And yet, Jesus Christ took that judgment upon himself. He suffered, as, as Kai talked about, he suffered the torments of the cross on our behalf and took, and took the hell of being forsaken by God Unto himself so that you wouldn't have to. In fact, if you want to read something that is really shocking, a lot of people skip over this particular psalm, but the psalm just before Psalm 23, Psalm 22, I'd encourage you to read that over the next couple days. Just go back and reflect on that and realize that that was written, you know what, maybe seven, eight hundred years before the events had happened. And it is startling the details that it speaks of what the Messiah is going to go through and what he's going to do for you and me. That's what our great shepherd did for us. Though we live under that shadow, we fear no evil because he is with us and we are comforted. (coughs) The rod and the staff are the shepherd's tools of protection. And the Lord laid down his life. The purpose of laying down his life is to protect his sheep and to save his church. There's never any promise in Scripture that we are not going to ever encounter anything scary in our lives. We live and we all suffer along with everybody else in a fallen and broken world. But ultimately, the promise is is that God will never allow evil to have the final word in our lives. Jesus said, I have said to you in advance these things that you may have peace. In the world, he says, you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus Christ is the reason that we can have peace no matter what befalls us, knowing that we are going to be uh, led and we're going to be protected by our great protector, our shepherd. Then there's a little shift here in verse 5. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now let's not think now of these little sheep up around a table, but rather now we're talking really more of a king. Remember, David the king is writing this. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall remain in the house of the Lord forever. This is more speaking, making kind of a shift and painting that picture of a king's coronation banquet. Uh, once again, it's, it's painting a picture with words. In a dry and weary land, there's food and water aplenty for God's people. In a world that fears death, we are comforted. And here in a world that is hostile, I am given grace and I am given honor. Recently, I think probably most everybody saw at least uh, once uh, the, the coronation of, of uh, King Charles III recently when Queen Elizabeth died and he was made king. And, and you remember that, that grand ceremony they had in the church. Well, part of that was the anointing of oil. And it was the anointing of oil was something that goes all the way back to King David where oil was poured upon the king to to uh, be a sign of God's choosing him to take that role. And so, I'm anointed by God. You are anointed by the Lord. You are anointed by him for your calling and what he is doing in your life. The overflowing cup is the king's wine goblet at his celebration. And have you ever thought about this, the, the long-term pattern of God's working in our lives, okay? From our perspective, from our experience of God, the long-term uh, trajectory, if you will, is the habit of God blessing us in greater proportion than we would have reason to expect or deserve. This is what we call unmerited favor. Not a reward based on my goodness, but a reward based on God's goodness. In the Hebrew Bible, the the language is stating that goodness and mercy are actually chasing after him. Goodness and mercy chasing at pursuing him. Now, how many of us have spent great portions of our life trying to outrun our mistakes, right? Where, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I got to get past this one. And, and yet here we're told by the Lord instead that goodness and mercy are actually chasing after him. They're being relentless. You know, David certainly, if, we, if you're familiar with his life, he certainly had many, many sinful failings in addition to all the great things he did. But instead of being forever banned by the Lord, kicked out, he's actually, through God's forgiveness, loved and welcomed into the Lord's house. Amazing to think about. Goodness and mercy chasing after us, pursuing us, trying to bless us, blessing us out of proportion than we deserve. That's the trajectory. Do you look at all these things? I shall not want. I will fear no evil. I'm welcomed into the house of the Lord. What what a beautiful picture of what it means to belong to the Lord. So what does this mean to us today? Let me me just share three thoughts on this idea. Why does the shepherd first of all care for his sheep? The shepherd wants his sheep to increase and to grow. And so as the Lord's sheep, you and me today, can I just say this is always a challenge for us to take our spiritual growth seriously, to Realize that forming us as mature Christians is God's great desire for you. Listen to the words of Peter and Paul. First of all, from Paul, he says in Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God that the Lord would have us increase in our knowledge of him. And then First Peter 2, 2, he says, like <clears throat> newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Now, I know some of us have not had an infant in our home for a long time, but how often does a baby want milk? All the time, right? It seems like they're just done and they want a little bit more. And this is how we should be interacting with the Word of God. The Bible is the voice of God speaking into your life, speaking into my life. And we should long for that, to hear that voice and to find that guidance, find that nourishment, find that comfort in a world that has an awful lot of messages that really are empty and don't have any promise whatsoever. What are your plans for growing spiritually? Can I ask you an honest question, and I don't have to ask anybody to stand up and give a testimony of it here, but can I ask you something? Is your thinking more like Christ this year than it was last year? Is your thinking more like Christ today than it was 10 years ago? And I say, ask that honestly uh, because, you know, sometimes we can kid ourselves about how close we're walking with the Lord. I just put that before you because God's purpose for you is to not decrease, not to deflate, but to increase and to grow in your knowledge and love of Him and your service to Him. Another thought I believe that comes out of this psalm is just what am I fearful of in my own life? You know, a couple of weeks ago... Uh, Randy treated us to a a uh, fiesta of phobias i don 't know <laughs> he, he he had the trivia game with all the different kinds of phobias, and uh, one of them I found fascinating phobophobia, which before that i didn 't know about it now I think I might have a mild case of it but the the fear of of phobias you know I think back of the The words of Franklin Roosevelt nearly a hundred years ago where he he, you know in his inaugural inaugural address he said we have nothing to fear but fear itself he obviously had no idea what lie ahead after he said those words because we have plenty to fear everybody was there's so many things we have to fear and you know what there'll be plenty to fear tomorrow as well there's always going to be something else to fear I take from this psalm that no matter what fearful or hard time that comes, that we are not outside the care and control of our shepherd. If he does not lead us away from the trouble, he will lead us through those things we fear. But he will be with us, and that is actually what will make all the difference in the world. Not the avoidance of trouble, but his presence in it with us makes all the difference in the world. Sometimes, come what may, sometimes he uses some of the hardest things that he leads us through to be to his glory in helping other people, in being a testimony to other people, to bring comfort to one another because we've been through it and God has been faithful to us. It's part of our testimony But God is faithful and his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And then finally, I think of Uh, in this psalm about where where are you feeling excluded in this life, where you're being left out. You know, we can't always be in the in-group, and all of us are in the in-group somewhere, but we're a lot on the outside as well. And you know, being on the outside can be a very painful experience. Friendships that have been lost or family fractures that have separated generations from one another, disintegrated or dissolved marriages uh, that have come through either death or divorce. Uh, oftentimes, with that, the loss of friends, loss of family members, even over that sort of thing. Another great heartache is the dissolving even of churches and the loss of relationships that oftentimes we have held so dear. And I know not everybody here has been through the disillusion of a church, but I've known many that have. And, and what a grievous and point of pain that that family will never come together again. And And so, There's so many things that we can feel in our lives excluded from or the loss of those things. But to this pain, the fact that we do live in a world that is oftentimes more hostile than we would have it, the Lord speaks to us and he says, No matter what, you are welcomed by me. And there's nothing you have done that will ever chase me away. As a matter of fact, I will chase after you in great grace and mercy. And so though all human relationships break down, you're always welcome in the family of God. And our Lord is our Father, and He is our faithful friend. And that is a great consolation in a world of broken people and broken relationships. Shall we pray together? We thank you, Lord, for your words of comfort to us. We thank you that we do not want, that we do find your grace and mercy when we have sinned. that restores us and invites us back. We thank you that though all of us walk under the shadow of death, that we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear because you took what is fearful out of death You took that upon yourself, that we might find freedom and salvation in your Son. We thank you for your great mercy to us, and help us to walk in the truth of this psalm. And we thank you in Christ's name.